Welcome everyone to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. The Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek revisits chapter 12 of the Watchmen graphic novel, A Stronger Loving World. Timely indeed, Pete. Here it is. Our last Watchmen Wednesday before the series hits HBO on Sunday. So, Pete, in one week's time, we will be finally able to talk about that pilot episode that we saw at New York Comic Con. And, uh, Pete, I already have the tweets composed for eleven fifty. Pardon me for nine fifty nine p.m. Uh, particularly for the number one theory I have slash area of interest that we should all be focusing on. I think. Can't wait to be digging deep. Your thoughts, of course, going to be key for that, bringing that all to you. But before we do that, next Watchmen Wednesday, after we've all seen the pilot, we're going to be bringing you a preview episode, a series preview uh, leading into that. And key among that, we will be discussing an outstanding article in the New York Times, Who Will Watch? The Watchmen. Today, though, Pete, our focus is talking chapter 12 of the graphic novel. My summary from the wiki at watchmen.fandom.com is as follows. The opening image, a clock at midnight, its face running with blood. Rorschach and Night Owl discover that Adrian Veidt is behind the attack on the masks. They meet Adrian in his South Pole base and argue about the morality of his actions. Ozymandias has planned to bring peace and union to the world by teleporting a genetically engineered alien monster to New York City, killing millions. Dr. Manhattan and Lori also go to the South Pole to try and find out who brought the horrors of the alien to the world. Ultimately, most of the assembled masked heroes agree to keep the peace by keeping the secret of who caused the creature's appearance. Rorschach, however, doesn't agree with the secret. He walks out seeking to share the truth. Dr. Manhattan obliterates Rorschach. Veidt sagaciously declares victory, but Dr. Manhattan notes that nothing ever truly ends. Then Manhattan leaves Earth. Time passes, and Dan and Laurie are living incognito, but make amends with Sally. The novel ends with Rorschach's journal being attended to at the New Frontiersman, suggesting that the truth shall escape. The closing quotation, it would be a stronger world, a stronger loving world to die in, from John Cale in Sanities, and there is no attached document. Pete, we get four more pages of story here. Yes, and brought all into conclusion here, the point where we will pick up with Watchmen on HBO, albeit 34 years later, 30, yeah, 34 years, 1985. Um, but you know, the, this quote unquote master stroke by Vite discovered by everybody. I particularly enjoy the, the way we languish at the beginning of the chapter. I remember getting this issue, the cover, you know, and I did not read them when they first came out. I, I read them in 2009 in advance of the film, but finally getting to this book and, you know, just going through the carnage, the first several pages, there's just so much to take in, you know, the band pale horse and, you know, all the illusions, everything else. And for me, the, the connection with 
the media taking this in and positing what has happened and the ultimate direction into peace that Vite had intended, uh, something he doesn't seem convinced would have happened. These opening pages, it's such a wise decision by Moore and Gibbons to go uh, on the first page, do a two-third uh, two third panel, then one-third, then to go. But essentially, when you flip the page, it's two full-page panels that play together, then another full page, another full page, and, and one deed after that. And it's just this onslaught uh, to the senses, in part because there are so many details in there, and because it is a full-page presentation you have to make your own way through it. There's not kind of the logical look here, look there. There's, there's no guidance here by Dave Gibbons. It's just more than you can take in and you get lost looking through the one and none of it, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of intellectually interesting. Oh, look, the band, uh, you know, the band is crystal knocked and look, the movie theater had the day the earth stood still. Those are, those are kind of top level brain connections that you start to make then the carnage just overwhelms you and you don't want to look at these dead bodies and you go to the next page and there's more and there's more. It's just so overwhelmingly wonderfully presented. The Promethean cab company bringing light to the world. I mean, it's simple, but at the same time, there's an elegance to it pointing us in that direction. And you finally, after seeing the tentacles and the ooze and everything you you get to the big one with the title and that thing just sticking out of the institute for spatial studies the the secret that we know and everyone else being unaware and i think amidst what ultimately is a chapter that uh, in my mind is no way lacking but i think if you look at kind of plot points there's not a ton of plot there it's kind of mostly you know, the climax at the very beginning, indeed the climax kind of ultimately having occurred um, kind of in between chapters 11 and 12, kind of in a weird way, but the way in which there's such story economy, uh, we get plenty of explanation here, the tachyon emitters, the tachyon disruption and whatnot, to make it clear why our all-powerful master of time and space, Dr. Manhattan, could not see this uh, happen the really 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 well done kind of time stutters that he has you know where you say i'm explaining this to laurie 90 seconds ago and just the way mm-hmm. the couple of times that that happens the way it fits into each scene the you know the, the earlier and the later the way it just fits in perfectly it, it all works i even think pete the the first time i read this there was a certain cheesiness i thought Maybe it's still there. I don't know. But there's a certain cheesiness to... Uh, it's not just Dan and Lori uh, and flagrante delito after this massive chaos and whatnot. I suppose that's... You know, one does as one does. But them sleeping softly by the poolside in the nude, cuddling as Dr. Manhattan uh, looks on. It That fits, too, in a weird way. I think on the one hand, it's kind of soap opera-y. But on the other hand, it just fits completely. It's such an echo for the other points in the novel, the Hiroshima lovers, <clears throat> the uh, the newsstand uh, manager and the boy in New York City, um, 
you know, even the uh, the nightmare that uh, Dan has had. Uh, and it, it works so well to continue to return to symmetrically. But you look at Vite and there continues to um, be this discussion. Is Jeremy Irons plays, playing Adrian Vite? Is he not? Um, he was announced to the New York Comic Con panel as probably playing the person you think he is. Um, the New York Times referred to Jeremy Irons as Adrian Veidt. Um, I'm not sure that's accurate. There are other inconsistencies uh, in the New York Times article that uh, we will break down when we talk about that a little later this week leading into the premiere. But, um, you know, the, the scene in this chapter that really sticks with me uh one that was handled well in the 2009 film is this lack of length that Ozymandias will go to to ensure his plans come to fruition. And that is with the pet, with Bubastis sacrificing him, um, the one thing he seems to care about, that he'd sacrifice him in order to attempt to disassemble Dr. Manhattan and not realizing it, it seems like the biggest mistake he could make that he knows how to reassemble himself. Certainly we see a haughty and triumphant Ozymandias here. And of course it comes with the ultimate zinger, nay, perhaps pair of zingers in Dr. Manhattan's last words that nothing ends Adrian, nothing ever ends. And it's like, for for Ozymandias and us, I dare say, there's kind of this twist where, particularly, you know, you're reading a comic book and it's a crazy squid that, you know, exploded everywhere. We're, we are a little bit detached from it and we can kind of go down this this mental path to say, well, okay, Ozymandias did a bad thing, but do the moral numbers work out? You sacrifice four million people, you fundamentally improve the lives of billions of people for however long this will go is Vite right will he be the new um new alexander the great surpass alexander the great and so forth and dr manhattan saying uh i don't know about that and then of course you get to the very end where it's clear that the story we just read is the story basically that will unfold once that journal gets um you know gets out there uh at least that's my assumption i think some of the dc comics follow-ups maybe have been less sure of that, but I would be less sure of it too if I wanted to sell Watchmen follow-ups. I'm going to stick to the core novel itself that suggests all of this is going to come unraveled because that journal is out there. The epilogue, if you will, of uh, Lori and Dan changing their names and visiting Sally has never really worked for me. I appreciate the attempt at it and I understand it. I just wonder if maybe we should cut from Karnak to the crank file. It's an interesting idea. I think on paper in some sort of rough draft, you need a Dan and Lori wrap up or do you need a Dan and Lori wrap up? I think would be the, the question, um, particularly since they're left in Antarctica in the nude you know, or did they, you know, Rorschach dead, Dr. Manhattan gone, Ozymandias triumphant, question mark. 
I agree with you, Pete, though. It kind of feels, I don't know, it feels like a, it feels like a, a, a rushed conclusion. I mean, shades almost of the Star Trek Voyager finale where it's like, I don't know, let's just kind of do something here. I'll tell you what doesn't play, I dare say, Pete, is that third page of the Dan and Lori visit where, you know, well, where Sally, Sally finds out that Lori knows who her father was. And then the last panels there, she goes to the picture of, of uh, the, the Minutemen, cries and, and kisses the picture, you know, kisses where the comedian is as she continues to cry. That is, those are three panels that I don't think would make it in there today for better or worse. I would argue perhaps for better. I would speculate we'd never see a storyline like hers with Edward Blake uh, in this day and age. And it, it's going to remain, uh, you know, anachronistic because of what it is. Um, but I, I just get this sense, um, you know, and obviously we know that Gene Smart is playing Laurie Blake in uh, Watchmen on HBO and, you know, not playing uh, Mrs. Hollis. So what's taking place between her and Dan and the artwork, I think, just does not hit in the way that it, it hits the rest of the book. Um, we recognize Sally, but, and yes, they have to look different, but Lori and Dan and Dan looks strangely older, uh, like 10 years, 15 years older. Um, yeah, it's, it's just never worked for me. And again, I can honor the attempt. They've I tried to bring it full circle. They want the closure with, uh, Sally, with them going out to see her. Um, but it, it just falls a little bit short. It, it keeps this chapter, I think, from reaching the highest highs. Then, Pete, we get to the last two pages where, of course, the uh, the assistant there from the newspaper is getting some dinner from Burgers and Borscht. Don't say it. Don't uh -huh. say Russian in my <laughs> podcast newspaper office. But, you know, part of that journey to get the meal is the uh, RR to run in 88 question mark, which, of course, as this is being read, you're supposed to be thinking Ronald Reagan uh, viewing it now with the anticipatory light of the series. We, of course, can see where it's headed. But then you get reference on the final page to who wants a cowboy actor in the White House and the reveal. It's Robert Redford. Yeah. And we thought that. Robert Redford might show up at the the panel there with the empty chair. We got um, comic illustrator and co-writer Dave Gibbons instead. But um, you know, when when you get to this page and the ketchup on the shirt uh, left hanging in such a way and reaching for the journal here, it's 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 in. His hands, it's in our hands, Matt. Peace, so attainable, yet so far away. Well, and particularly peace at what cost. Uh, it'll be so interesting to see how the series bridges, you know, if at all. Maybe they, maybe it's all just in the, the writer's room and not necessarily something that's in the nine-episode story. But how do they bridge the two? Um because, I mean, you can imagine even, you know, News Frontiersman certainly a fringe newspaper, but at a certain point, 
you know, one can only assume this story got out there and that's why we're living in the world of the series that we are. Um, particularly with regard to my theory that, oh, I can't talk about yet, Pete, but that I really, really <laughs> want to talk about regarding the pilot. Pete, I will certainly have to bite my tongue. Maybe I'll let that theory slide in our in our uh, in our you know, final series preview, but certainly not the focus today. Can't wait to dive on into the series and, of course, our entire nine-week coverage of it made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to loads of exclusive podcast content. You never know what will show up there. All it takes is a dollar to get you in the door. A dollar a month, nay, Matt, a quarter a week for this thing we bring you here and on the 19 feeds of Fantastic Geek, the family of podcasts. You got your Watchmen. You got your God Friend and Me. You got your Star Trek Picard Discovery. You got the Mandalorian on Disney Plus coming soon, bringing it all to you. So proud to be listener supported. So happy to know that people are checking out the Patreon page, checking out some of those bonuses. But Pete, the best one is a freebie that's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,684 followers. Can't be wrong. And just remember that we will be tweeting Myself and Matt will be live tweeting during the Watchmen premiere on uh, Sunday night, October 20th at 9 p.m. So make sure you're part of that discussion. Pete, people can share their thoughts on Twitter. They can also reach out to me personally on Twitter where I am looking back lost. You can also be in touch with the podcast by commenting on fantasticgeek.com, checking us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, all where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, we will be back this weekend to preview the first season, perhaps the only season, of Watchmen on HBO, and then back on Wednesday to break down episode 101. With that, I will say TikTok to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. I did it! <laughs> <laughs>